Support for this podcast and the following message comes from KUST Campus Radio, a student-operated non-commercial radio station. KUST provides students and faculty of St. Thomas a platform dedicated to creative storytelling, diverse viewpoints, and exploring a vast array of audio content. Tune in anytime to KUST at Mixler.com slash KUST hyphen radio. to keep the ball rolling presented by tommy media on today's show we talk episodes one through six of the michael jordan documentary and sports writing during covid19 as we bring on the star tribune's paul clauda Hello, everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of Season 5 of Keep the Ball Rolling. I'm Mia Lawi. And I'm Joey Swanson. How are you today, Joey? I'm doing pretty good, you know. I've been loving this Last Dance documentary, so that's been keeping me busy lately. What have you been doing to stay busy? I've also been watching The Last Dance. Um, ESPN's released six episodes in batches of two so far. Um, seven through 10 are going to air in the next two Sundays, but so far they've covered so much. Um, I mean, just the first episode already had me hooked. Yeah, I was hooked from the start. And once they, uh, started talking about how Michael was the goat of, of the NBA, I was like, eh, but I gave it a chance. And now... Now that I've seen this documentary, I feel like he's much more close to LeBron's status than I had previously thought because, <laughs> you, you know, I, I, going through all these games, it's, it's hard to say that this guy isn't. I mean, they're two different eras, but you get the gist. One of my favorite parts, just of like the beginning of um, this whole episode one, I love how many characters they brought in in episode one. So you had just like the craziness of the Bulls they introduced, which um, there was Roy Williams talking about um, Jordan in college. And obviously, like, um, I've always kind of been a North Carolina fan just because we had a family friend play for them. And so I think it was very interesting for me to see Roy talk. And then, um, Even Obama makes an appearance in episode one, so (laughs) that was kind of funny. Yeah, he talks about when he was young trying to buy Bulls tickets, and obviously those were hard to get once Jordan came to the NBA. He just made a spotlight for himself and took off. I mean, his days in college were super, super good, and I thought he should have gotten drafted earlier in his career than he did. I'm not quite sure if there was the rules where you couldn't get drafted until a certain time, but he was a, he was a statement player even from his freshman year, but he didn't get drafted until after his junior season. So. Yeah. I liked the part where Roy Williams is just like, 
he never freaking turned it off. I thought just like the physicality and just like our era of kids didn't really get to see um, Jordan's just extreme athleticism, just like him going and just absolutely destroying people, blocking them. That was kind of really amazing for me to see because like we never really got to see Jordan play. So, but yeah, um, his, his effort is unpackable. Like he literally would go all out every single game and would call out his teammates every time they weren't giving a hundred percent. And that's probably why he won so many championships with the bulls because he just wouldn't quit and wouldn't let his teammates either. Um, it was pretty amazing to me when Jordan was asked, like, how his college to NBA tr transition was, and he said it was pretty easy. I don't know if a lot of guys can say that, but um, he also – one of my favorite parts about um, the start of this documentary is just how much of a regular college kid he seemed like, just, like, asking his mom for money and stamps in the mail, just, like – chill and watching movies like you don't see that side of michael jordan you you see the famous michael jordan with the air jordan shoes but you don't see like him chilling on the couch like doing the same things we do yeah they they were talking about how he just you know he just lives a simple life and goes home back to his apartment after the games doesn't party doesn't do any of that but loves to compete and that competitive nature, you know, sticks with him off the court as well with his card playing and golf and gambling. all those. Yeah, gambling. You know, he, he needed that to keep keep the competitiveness going off the court. And yeah, yeah. they kind of talked about his like shock going into the NBA when he found out so many of his like teammates were living a lifestyle like they called the Bulls cocaine circus um, with just all kinds of drugs and like women in the hotel rooms and just Jordan's still living like he's still in college while all of them are partying all the time. Yeah, I know. He, he really wasn't about any of that. He was focused on his craft. Mm -hmm. And then um, they kind of established early Jerry Krause is the enemy. Um, when they introduced like Scottie Pippen into this documentary as well. And I think a lot of the introduction was kind of first setting up Jordan and then bringing in Pippen there as his like basically wingman. And um, I think it's very, very interesting how there were a couple consistent enemies and like Jerry Krause and Isaiah Thomas. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about Pippen in episode two. So, um, you kind of said he was the most underappreciated player in the league. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, he definitely did not get paid nearly as much as he should have. He was 122nd in NBA pay, and Phil Jackson said that he was possibly the second best player in the league behind Jordan. And so that was crazy to hear because normally you think of the stars getting paid so much money and he just didn't and that kind of I think that really affected him and how he perceived his relationship with the Bulls and then 
leading into the the head of the organization and Jerry Krause and he Jerry was always butting heads with everyone so that wasn't helpful and they didn't get a contract uh figured out any time like he 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 was on a seven years 18 million dollar contract and at yeah, the beginning it kind of like it 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 shows that like he just wanted to like get money and like be fine and take care of his family but in the long run that ended up hurting him because his value just shot up once he got in the league well the thing is he was like when you think of the Jordan Air Bulls you think Michael and Scotty and you know Rodman but then he was six and pay on the Bulls and that's crazy because like Michael's like, when they talk about me, they should talk about Scotty. Like, he called him his best teammate of all time. And the crazy part to me is, Scotty was an NAIA player. Like, he wasn't a big time D1 guy, but he ended up kind of just like exploding when he got like taller and more athletic. And it just kind of, that, that part wowed me. But um, the part yeah. that wowed me even yeah. more was uh, Scotty Pippen's outfit choices. And, as well as Dennis Rodman's outfit choices and even Michael Jordan with his um, beret and hoop earring. Like, oh my God, I feel like they kind of started like NBA players dressing up in the most interesting outfits on game days and stuff. Yeah, that was, that was definitely cool watching Pippen and Jordan and Rodman walk into the arena with their crazy outfits and, it, like you said, it was crazy to see like how Pippen emerged as this great NBA player. I mean, he started off. What was he like a equipment manager at a college? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Something like that. He was an equipment manager, and then he got a chance to play. The coaches let him in practice, and then he ended up earning a scholarship and then growing about seven more inches. So, you know, you, you never know where you're going to come from, but he made it. And the two of them, like when we, in the last episode, when we kind of like set up a preview into this episode, we talked about um, their defense, but it was amazing to watch just like him picking up magic Johnson full core. Like who does that? It's Magic Johnson. Like, so that was kind of, I don't know, super fun for me to watch just because these are, these are things our generation didn't get. These just, like, guys who only cared about winning. That's all they cared about. They're just all about the competition, none of the outside stuff that can come with the NBA these days sometimes. Yeah. Um, I feel like when Jordan entered the league, it was more of – a big man league and I was very surprised to see him get picked in the third or as the third pick mm-hmm. because they had two big guys get picked before him Olajuwon and Sam Bowie and Olajuwon panned out I'm not sure what career Bowie had but Jordan obviously went down in history so they they really disregarded uh smaller players back in the day and Right, Jordan kind of defined those odds, and uh, yeah, for sure. And now you got like, um, you got like the Splash Bros who are 
both guards like making their own franchise with Golden State and you got just like Kawhi Leonard all these um all these guards who can define a franchise now so that kind of made history as well um my favorite character in this entire documentary so far has been Dennis Rodman though hands down Jordan and Pippen are amazing but Dennis Rodman just brought the personality piece so um I want to talk a little bit about him First of all, when they introduced him, they talked about how he was just like living in people's backyards, which I'm like, what? You're, you're just living in people's backyards. Like he, he wasn't even crashing on couches. He's living in backyards. And um, obviously he joined the bad boys. And back then, Isaiah Thomas call it, called him a innocent, beautiful person. And he was quiet, which is just hilarious. But um, Besides the personality piece, what I really loved about him is like his attention to detail because he would study players on the other team just to see where they missed the ball the most. And he was an insane hustler. Like there was a picture of him absolutely horizontal in the air diving for a ball. And um, he basically would study his rebounding position and he knew his role and that was a really cool thing to me. Yeah, he definitely embraced that role. He was an, an impeccable defensive player as well. Like he would just lock down the best players mm -hmm. in the league and he didn't have much offensive skill, but they didn't need that. They had Pippen and Jordan. So I, I tip my cap kinda to Jerry Krause bringing him in, but throughout the throughout the series, I wasn't a fan of Krause, but that was a good move. And uh, Rodman, he was yeah, like you said, such an interesting character. I mean, his mom kicked him out of the house for being a bum. So yeah, he had to live in backyards, and he would just go to the gym every day and work on his craft and. Yeah, he, he came from a small college as well, just like Scottie Pippen did. Uh, I think a second-round pick mm. that just worked his tail off, found his niche in the game, and yeah, it was fun watching him throughout such a character. And he was, he was very deep. Like, first of all, he was not afraid to, like, express the struggles he was going through, I feel like, whereas – you didn't see that with other players. So, I mean, there was a little bit, it was a little bit brushed over in the series, but he actually was kind of like suicidal when he got traded to, um, I think it was the Spurs. Yeah. He was, he yeah. was acting out with the Spurs and having these tantrums and they couldn't really control him. And, mm -hmm. and Krause, they Krause saw that and knew that they had Phil Jackson as a coach and, you know, Jordan. So, they they had guys to set him in place and keep him in line, and I think that was what what Rodman needed in, at that time. Well, they showed him like how important he was. I think, and I mean, I think he just put a lot of pressure on himself. He talked a lot about like the pressure on the court wasn't what did it for him. It was like the pressure when he walked off the court and. There was a time when he, I just thought this was hilarious, but also like 
maybe it was more serious, but um, he just needed a vacation mid-season. So the thing I would like footage of is um, Michael Jordan chasing Rodman around Vegas like the hangover because he came back to practice and the man was practicing in pajama pants when Jordan dragged him home. And I think that's just hilarious. Like what player in any era can just say, Hey, I'm going to need a vacation to go to Vegas. I'll see you guys later. (laughs) And Phil let him. Phil was like, all right, well, this is obviously what it takes to get the most out of Rodman. So they let him do his thing in Vegas. He said, Give me 48 hours. He obviously, more than that, apparently. Obviously. He didn't, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't come back on time. They had to go into a hotel room. He was with some girl. They had to get him out of bed. It was a whole thing. But he made it back. And, you know, ever since then, he, he stuck to it and was a good, good player for the Bulls. Well, that's the mastermind, Phil Jackson. He knew the – intrinsic motivations of his players and he knew that um he was dealing with a different different guy with Rodman and so like he knew that he couldn't treat him like any other player but I guess in um segment three we'll talk a little bit more about Phil Jackson um so stay tuned for segment three we're going to talk more about this documentary um but next we will bring on the Star Tribune's Paul Clouda to talk about sports journalism and uh, just sports in the time of COVID-19. Today we have a sports editor with us, Paul Clauda from the Star Tribune. He also teaches here at St. Thomas. How are you, PK? Paul Clauda? <laughs> I'm doing all right, Joey. How are you holding up? I'm doing pretty good. We're, uh, we're just talking about the uh, Michael Jordan documentary. So have you been watching any of that lately? I've been watching my Twitter feed, uh, which has been watching the Michael Jordan documentary. It seems like you can get almost as much by watching what people say about it as you can from watching it. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, lot of cool, cool stuff to talk about on, on Twitter. I've seen a few of my friends posting their favorite uh, things about it. Dennis Rodman being the focus of most, most people. They love, they love his character, but so you're a, so you're a sports editor at the Star Tribune and we were kind of wondering what the focus and goal right now is with the changes we've been seeing uh, for you guys to get information to the public. Well, it's been uh, an adventure, to say the least. Um, none of us, of course, are together uh, in one place the way we normally would work. So, And without any sports going on, uh, the challenge has been to, one, cover the news of that story. Uh, and there's been plenty of it, to be honest. Um, but also to come up with uh, ways to help tell stories that you know, maybe aren't exactly on the, the, the topic of COVID. One of the things we've discovered from our readers um, and our, you know, people who follow us on the online is that they, they want to not just be informed about COVID, but they also want to kind of get some relief and they want, they want to be entertained and they want to be told stories that don't have anything to do with, uh, you know, the, the challenge that we're all dealing with. So we found some ways to do that uh, as well. So it's, 
for reporters, I, which I, you know, I'm not currently in their shoes, but I think it's got to be a challenge for them because they're, you know, in a sense, not able to go to practices. They're not able to go to games. They're not able to cover and go meet with, for the most part, uh, people that they normally write about. So they've got a real challenge on their hands. But we're finding ways to fill four pages of a newspaper every day and uh, a little bit more occasionally. Um, so we still have a sports section uh, in, in, a, in our newspaper, and we have a pretty robust website where there's a fair amount of traffic, <coughs> excuse me, for sports news of newsy variety, but also feature stuff as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, yeah, you said there's um, so much news every single day to report on about um, COVID. And I think people can really get tired of uh, the negative or the scary stuff. And sometimes I think um, the media can get a little bit of a bad rap from that, but I do think that it is good to see like the positive stories. And what you were talking about, I saw that you're steering a series called Reader Requests to give people some sports stories. Could you talk about that? Sure. We actually, um, early on back in March when this, you know, when the stay at home thing first hit, one of the things we did was we asked readers uh, via Twitter, via our website, uh, what stories would you want us to tell? What, what stories do you want us to tell and give us some ideas about things to write about? We, we feel pretty strongly that this is a good time to really listen to our audience um, and kind of help tell stories that they want us to tell. So we actually came up with, or they, they, they were very great at uh, responding and saying, yeah, we, here are stories we'd like to, to have retold. Uh, moments that are, you know, somewhat maybe memorable to some fans, but not so memorable to others. So we basically collected, a, you know, I think we ended up with six different um, stories to retell. And we ran one of those stories um, each day last week. So this is the week of what, May, today's May 7th. So we ran them last week. Um, and we had reporters basically go and interview and re-interview people who were part of those stories from, in some cases, uh, back into the 30s. Uh, Patty Berg, a Minnesota professional golfer who helped define women's professional golf. Um, uh, high school hockey team from Minneapolis Southwest that became the first Minneapolis public school to win a hockey state championship back in 1970, so 50 years ago. A basketball player from New York Mills, Janet Carvinen, who was one of the, I would say she was the first Minnesota high school superstar of the Title IX era, which was, had just been passed back then. Um, Dave Winfield, a baseball player at the University of Minnesota, basketball player, got drafted in three by three, actually four professional sports leagues. Think about that. You know, one athlete getting drafted by four different pro leagues. Uh, we told the story, kind of a story about a home run that was hit in 1992 against the Minnesota Twins. It kind of turned a very good season south, and some people would say sent them, sent them off on a decade of, of losing. And then just recently, we, we kind of retold the wacky story of the Minnesota Vikings season in 2010. Most people who were alive then probably remember the Metrodome collapsed. Uh, but that yeah. wasn't a really weird thing that happened that year. So fun, fun stories to retell. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely cool reminiscing about all these Minnesota sports stories that we used to view and 
coming into like the, the, the summer where I was, I was going to ask you what you kind of think about what we're going to do in the sports world. I know that baseball is in talks about kind of opening back up, but it's got to be regulated and we're currently still in, you know, lockdown mode as a country pretty much. So what do you see happening with sports and maybe there's not any fans at the games and we just have the players, the coaches and the media there. What have you heard and what do you think is going to happen in the upcoming months? I wish, I wish I knew the answer, you know, with the, with the COVID uh, health concerns kind of being a bit of a moving goalpost, if I can use the sports metaphor, you know, we, we keep wondering when, 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 and we keep being told two more weeks, four more weeks. And it seems like we don't really know, uh, you know, like when will there be a vaccine? Um, when, will it be, it's, it's, when will it be safe for more than a, you know, a couple people to gather together at a time? So I think until we know those answers, it's going to be a bit speculative. I do think we already know that just about every pro sport is talking about how they're going to get back into business. Um, just, just this week, the St. Paul Saints, uh, the, the professional minor league team in St. Paul, uh, issued a very detailed plan for how they're going to reopen baseball with uh, details down to what you, can, what you can't spit on the ground if you're a player, uh, how far apart fans will sit. Um, uh, fascinating details. So, I mean, they're talking about it. Um, and as you mentioned, Major League Baseball uh, is professional soccer, the NBA, the NHL, they, they're all talking about it. Exactly what's going to happen when, who knows. We know golf is supposed to start. Professional golf tournaments are supposed to start in June. Uh, there's a tournament in Minnesota in July, the 3M Open, which is still on for the last weekend or the last week of July. Uh, so stuff like that. Golf seems to have started, you know, at least recreational golf so I wouldn't be surprised to see you know golf competitive golf reemerge re fairly quickly but the other sports that rely on you know especially contact sports who knows you know the NFL is seems like they're moving along they had their draft they're going to announce their schedule NFL seems like they're, they're they feel like they're going to start but how's that going to happen you know how's that how are you going to play a contact sport <laughs> when you don't really know who's safe and who isn't. It's crazy. So um, if things don't open up, what do you think people can do to stay connected to sports? Well, I think there'll still be the story of what is going to happen. It may be a speculative story. It may be a story that doesn't have a, you know, sort of a clear, decisive, their back moment to it. But I think that story will continue on. I think we're gonna to have to keep coming up with ways to talk about and tell stories that give people some relief. You know, I think people are probably getting a little tired about reading, you know, the athlete who can't work out and now how are they coping or the team that had a chance to win a state tournament and now they don't have that chance. You know, those kinds of stories, we've written plenty of those. Yeah, the challenge is gonna be what's the next level of kind of feature story to write that isn't all about COVID but is more about how people are coping, but you know, there are, you know, there's a lot of attention being paid to it. Um, I don't think we'll run out of things to write about. I do think we'll have to be a little more creative about, you know, how to engage readers so they're not feeling like they've read that story before. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just curious, um, 
one thing people are doing right now is watching like the Jordan documentary on Sunday nights. I'm kind of curious on your opinion. Um, I'm, I'm partial to Kobe. Joey's a, a LeBron guy. I was wondering if you have an opinion on uh, who's the GOAT. Oh, man. <laughs> given, my, given my demographics, you know, I'm, I, I probably have a little more appreciation for the Jordan era than, you know, than some. Um, gosh, do I have to, do I have to decide? It's such a hard answer. I mean, you can never really decide. Yeah, well, I guess one thing, one thing I would say is when Jordan played, um, I think he was one of those transcendent players, kind of like Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky in hockey, um, who when they were on the ice or when Gretzky played, when Jordan was on the court, he made – each of these guys made, you know, maybe journeyman, average, pedestrian players a lot better. You know, it wasn't just about Jordan. Jordan made everybody on the team better. And I think Kobe does that. It has done – it did that to some degree. Uh, Shaq – or excuse me, not Shaq, um, LeBron. Um, yeah, to some degree. I haven't seen enough of LeBron elevating the rest of the team to kind of think of him in Jordan-esque terms yet. You know, Larry Bird was kind of like that too. Um you know, guys that would, if they played on other teams, they might not be as, you know, prolific as they were when they played with those kind of superstars that kind of lifted everybody else up. So I think Jordan gets points for elevating players you might not have ever heard about into, you know, at least quasi uh, notable status on pretty impressive championship teams. And that's the other thing. Jordan won a lot of championships, you know. So I'm not, not saying your other ideas aren't good ones, but maybe you need a little more time with LeBron. Maybe Kobe, maybe Kobe over time will elevate too. But, you know, I think the fact that he died so recently has kind of colored some of our, our perceptions of him. And maybe five years from now, we'll think differently about Kobe. And maybe in a bigger way, you know. Yeah. Jordan came first, and there's something to be said for that. But, again, I kind of grew up watching him, so I'm – I'm probably a little bit biased that way. And aren't we all, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, we sure are. And then we don't even think about guys before Jordan in that mix. I mean, obviously, there's um, the Magic versus Bird, and there's Kareem and um, all those guys. I guess they kind of get left out of that. Yeah, well, yeah, Will Chamberlain, uh, George Mikan, who played actually for the Minneapolis Lakers. So, yeah, they were, again, dominant legendary players. I'm I'm eager to see who's going to emerge as sort of women's basketball superstars, um, uh, even in soccer, you know, 10, 15 years from now, who are we going to sort of remember? Uh, who are going to be the, the, the transcendent players? And, um, you know, we got to stop just talking about men. I guess that's part of my point. <laughs> no, that's true. And I think, um, especially for soccer, I think we'll see like Carly Lloyd and like Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, kind of their generation as um, the women's soccer stars people talk about, just like they would talk about Brandy Chastain and Mia Hamm. Yeah. Um, for women's basketball, I mean, you got some great young players, especially in like Sabrina Ionescu coming in. She's going to be really awesome to watch in the WNBA. So um, exciting for the future. Yeah, yeah. 
and other you know individual sports obviously they have their transcendent players but i don't think i think when you see team sports and you you have the advantage of being able to say okay watching a great athlete with a with a group of teammates who depend on that person you see i think a little different level of sort of superstardom in in team sports not to diminish the individual you know stars there's plenty of those in golf and tennis and swimming and other sports for sure um i think that's all the time we have for segment two thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us um i hope to see more um of those featurey kind of stories from the star tribune and other media outlets to retell those old sports stories um in the next segment we will continue our talk about the last dance so thanks pk All right. Thanks for having me. So I'm glad that PK could come on and talk with us. Our St. Thomas professors have taught us that journalism majors have a lot to talk about right now, and we're working through this change. So right now I'd uh, like to switch it up and, you know, go back to, the Michael Jordan uh, Bulls documentary and talk about episode four a little bit. So that was kind of highlighted with Phil Jackson and his legacy with the Bulls. Mm -hmm. Obviously he's going to go down in history as one of the greatest coaches of all time, but that's shown in this documentary and it shows his transition from being a player in the league and becoming a coach and then starting this legacy with the Bulls. I think he created a lot of trust with Jordan on the Bulls and that almost fostered a lot of their success. Like we talked about, he was, um, he was very good at understanding like players' motivations and he kind of helped usher that transformation from Jordan needing to be like the only guy and like trusting his teammates to handle pressure, score in like a new offense. So obviously Jordan totally bought into that because he was a team player. He just wanted to win. Yeah. Jordan obviously couldn't do it on his own and he had good players around him and it just took Phil Jackson to get to Michael and, you know, make him realize that you can pass the ball and we can win as a team. It doesn't have to be all you. And Jordan, he bought into that. So they they went on and had a great career together. And after it was kind of ending-ish when Jerry Krause was trying to split up the franchise, he, uh, Jordan, um, or Phil, was or Jordan was like, yeah, I'm not going to play for any coach other than Phil Jackson. So that kind of showed what Phil meant to Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any other main things you want to talk about with Jackson? Um, I just wanted to mention one thing when he was coaching in Puerto Rico, he coached like a wild group of, uh, of players and the league was crazy. The fans would, kill a chicken in the graveyard and pour the blood on the opposing team's bench. So that's a little bit of the background to what uh, coach uh, Jackson had 
at the beginning of his career. He, yeah, he had to deal with a lot of, a lot of characters, lots of controversy, interesting stories. Um, it's really interesting how key he was in the whole Jordan era because, I mean, Jordan obviously was this amazing athlete and everyone saw him and was like, yeah, he could be a great player in the league. But he, Jordan just had this amazing transition into not only being the greatest of all time, but being a star like around the world. He was like worldwide celebrity status. And one interesting thing for me is his mother is basically the reason Air Jordan is like the biggest Nike thing in the world. Like Jordan, Jordan didn't want anything to do with Nike and she made him talk to them. And I think that's just crazy. Yeah, the the famous shoe at the time was Converse, and Jordan didn't want that. He wanted Adidas. So it was funny that he ended up signing with Nike, and they paid him $250,000 to sign with them, which was over double what they normally pay an athlete to be a sponsor. Yeah, and um, it's crazy to think of Nike as like a small brand not worth endorsing. Because now you ask so many people, like, what's the sports brand? It's Nike. And, like, Adidas obviously has come into popularity um, in the last few years. But when you think of sports, you think of Nike. And that I didn't even know before watching this documentary how big of a part Michael Jordan played in that. Because then you get into his commercials with, Spike Lee as Mars Blackman with my main man, Michael Jordan, you know, like, um, money, it's gotta be the shoes, like those kind of commercials. And I guess my dad kind of raised me on those on YouTube, but. <laughs> those <laughs> were some funny, funny commercials. You wanted Air Jordans if you're going to get basketball shoes. Yeah, no, Air Jordan was definitely that, that signature brand and, Jordan was a signature player and there were times throughout his career when he was he was just attacked and the Detroit Pistons they did not shy away from doing that to Michael in his career they one season I remember it was multiple probably but they would they would would not let him get in the air they would take him out and physically beat him when he would try and come in the lane and score and that was that was how the game was played back in the day there were no technical fouls for that which is crazy to think about because no one's wearing any padding and there's just free shots at people's faces and it's funny to think that not not too long ago that's how the game was played they let that stuff go oh there's a lot that's changed when you talk about shoes and physicality i mean i can't imagine wearing just converse with the insanely flat soles playing basketball i mean i think my ankles would just be absolutely destroyed and second of all the physicality that you're talking about like just isaiah thomas bill lambier like those guys just absolutely jacking people and it's actually just like kind of fun to watch because now I one thing I just really hate about basketball is like the ticky tack fouls where you like put a hand on the hip and it's a foul like 
I don't know, it kind of loses the intensity when everybody wants a foul for like all the little things. But I guess that's just how it was. Um, they got to protect the players too with how long the season is and stuff. They're, I guess they must be built a little different these days. Got a little more protection. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy how the, how the league has changed. I, I'm, I'm also with you on that. I'm not a fan of all the ticky-tacky fouls, but it's the way it's got to be. They get these guys get paid millions. They don't want them hurt. No, and um, I mean, you got guys who like have to take games off, and then there's LeBron who just carries the weight on his shoulders and plays every game the entire season, except for the one time I go to watch him. I the Lakers came to play the T Wolves um, last year, my freshman year. Bought tickets for the game just to see LeBron in a Lakers jersey. Because I've been a Lakers fan my whole life, starting with like Kobe when I was younger, and I'm like, I got to see LeBron in a Lakers jersey. Of course, he's got the groin injury. It's like a, it's like in start of January. I was so mad because Lakers just got killed by the T Wolves. It was so bad. Yeah, that's always annoying, and that reminds me of one thing that Jordan said. He he wouldn't he wouldn't take a game off ever, like not because of injury, just because of like his effort. He wouldn't because he, he said that there's always one person in the crowd who hasn't seen him play. And so that kind of tailors to you with LeBron. You w- weren't able to see him play. but Yeah, I saw Kobe play. Um, it's probably the best NBA game I've ever watched just because he was always my idol. But I'm still going to have to go see LeBron play. And maybe it'll have to be in Los Angeles. I don't know when all this is over. Yeah, that would be cool. Back back to our documentary. Um, We were talking a little bit about the physicality, and towards the end of Jordan's career, there was a book that came out called Jordan Rules by Sam Smith, who was featured quite a bit in The Last Dance. Um, And it wasn't really about the physicality, but it was a kind of an expose of – Jordan, like towards the end of his career, you know, Jordan, this big public figure, and now it's talking about he's really harsh on teammates. Jordan is a huge gambler, like so many different things and trying to tear him down. And Jordan just really got tired of it, tired of being in the spotlight. Yeah, they want to build you up, but then at the same time, they just want to tear you down. That's that's the reality of the media and our day and age. But We'll see what happens with the rest of the episodes. Only ha- only six have come out, but seven through ten are set to drop in the next two weeks. So if you yeah. haven't watched it yet, you should. It airs Sundays at 8 p.m. Each Sunday there's two episodes. So I guess thank you guys for joining us for episode four. And we hope all our listeners are safe, healthy staying connected and finding different ways to do that but the season finale will be in two weeks so stay tuned yep it's been fun to talk with you guys episode five last episode Mm -hmm.